This is Vermont Credit Unions On Air, a service of the Association of Vermont Credit Unions. I'm John Cody, Director of Information Services for the Association, and with me today is Association President Joe Bergeron, who usually occupies the host chair in which I'm sitting. He's in the subjects chair because we're recording this on Tuesday, September 11, 2018, and Joe is celebrating the 40th anniversary of his first day working for the Vermont Credit Union League. Four decades ago, a recent University of Vermont graduate with a bachelor's degree in music and business, who'd turned 22 years old just five weeks earlier, began a career which would see him become the youngest Credit Union League president in history, a board member of the Credit Union National Association, the National Cooperative Business Association, and Tricorp Federal Credit Union. He would also become the longest-serving Credit Union Trade Association president in the United States, and has now served more years as president of our state's trade association than all of his predecessors combined. Welcome, Joe. Thanks, John. Is it uh, strange to be on the receiving end of a podcast intro? Yeah, it's a little disconcerting and a little awkward feeling. I have to, I have to admit, I'm used to uh, saying the parts that you just said and, and not being on the answering end. Well, let's begin at the beginning, I guess. In 1978, when regular leaded gas was 65 cents a gallon, the minimum wage was $2.65, and disco dominated the radio airwaves, Yay. what did the credit union landscape look like in Vermont, and what services did the league provide to our members? So things were uh, a, a tad different uh, in 1978 uh, than they are in 2018 today. Uh, for starters, uh, we had 72 credit unions in the state of Vermont. Each of them, though, and that's hard to envision today when we have 19 in the state of Vermont, but each of them was um, a little bit, they were like in little individual boxes as far as the field of membership was concerned. So they didn't overlap each other very much. Credit unions at the time were established in occupational groups of, you know, hospital employees, teachers, municipal employees, mm -hmm. uh, so on and so forth. Not too many community credit unions, by contrast to today, where it's almost all community credit unions. The association's original mission, like it is today, was advocacy. But beyond that, um, we did a little bit of information sharing and uh, did some education for credit unions, maybe a few straightforward traditional trade association kinds of endorsements of a few programs here and there. Uh, but that's about it as far as what the organization uh, had for projects going on. We had, just to round out the picture a little bit, we had, I made the third employee of the organization. So <laughs> there was the president, and there was a clerical admin sort of uh, person, and I was the third one to come along. Um, lots of driving by me all over the state. Uh, we did a monthly newsletter that was a big process because... Remember, there wasn't really any uh, much for computer technology right. at the time, and, and copiers were pretty limited. So I remember the, the mimeograph machines and stencils and all that kind of stuff very vividly. Uh, and we had a nine-member board of directors. Uh, they were elected mostly uh, from the uh, chapters of credits that we had around the state at the time, which are, are long behind us now. Um, about two and a half years, I think, if I have the, the timing right, after you started at the league, the board selected you to become president um, following some unfortunate and rather sad circumstances. Yeah, I remember that really well. That was uh, March of 1982. Uh, my predecessor, Charlie Howe, uh, had had a lengthy career in state government. Uh, during that time, he found himself on the board of directors and I think eventually chair of the board of Vermont State Employees Credit Union. And um, eventually, um, when he retired from state government, 
uh, became the full-time president of the Vermont Credit Union League at the time. And so in 1982, in March, he was attending a meeting of his peers and CUNY Mutual that they held traditionally at the time in Las Vegas, I think it was, now it's all there, uh, typically in March. And I was supposed to go pick him up on a Friday evening in a snowstorm at the airport in Burlington. We both lived in Montpelier. And, you know, I arrived at the appointed time at the airport waiting for his flight. He didn't come off his flight. I hung around for another hour or two or whatnot waiting for the next flight, figuring that he missed it or something. He wasn't on that flight, waited for a third flight, and uh, he wasn't on any of them. So I ended up calling his wife, uh, who was at home in Montpelier, saying, you know, did he change his flight arrangements mm -hmm. or something? And uh, she said she didn't know, uh, but that why don't, by this time, it's, you know, many hours later after right. the point of the arrival, snowstorm, I live in Montpelier, I'm at the airport in Burlington. She, she says, why don't you go home? and I'll call you and let you know. And um, she did call me at about, I think it was like 4.30, maybe 5 o'clock in the morning, to tell me that uh, he had died in his hotel room uh, the prior night um, and that a parish priest and a police officer had come to her door to break the news to her uh, that morning after she had called the hotel after my call to find out what had he checked out, was he still there, and so on and so forth. And so right. coincidentally, uh, what had transpired was that he, um, that, prior evening, uh, they had had a retirement dinner for him, a uh, celebration by his peers from across the country, CUNY Mutual, some maybe CUNY employees at the time, and did at the time they did the typical gold watch kind of thing and whatnot, and he went to bed in his room, uh, planning to get up and go to the airport the next morning, but he never woke up. He just fell, uh, fell asleep and never woke up again. Um, after taking over as president, uh, I don't remember how long it was, but I wasn't here, but um, your wife Paulette worked with you at the League for nearly 20 years. Um, that was likely a pretty unusual experience, especially for a young couple just both starting their careers. Yeah, uh, it was, but that's a, a memorable, those 20 years, a memorable portion of my 40 um, in that um, we were able to do a lot of things together in the employee of the Vermont Credit Union League at the time. And when it looked like it was gonna, I was going to become president of the Vermont Credit Union League at the time we, and that I'd be there for a while, we built our first house together uh, in Montpelier. Um, we had gotten married just when I started working for the, for the league or shortly mm. thereafter. Built our first house a few years later uh, in Montpelier, and um, she had been uh, teaching music in the Essex school system. But when we relocated to Montpelier, she started a career in um, bookkeeping and accounting with a local accounting firm in Montpelier. Um, and she had been doing a lot of, I'll call it volunteer work for us because you know, she wanted to be very supportive of what I did and everything. So at our annual meetings, she was very involved with the registration process and in advance of the annual meeting and at the annual meeting and helped me out with, you know, entertainment and so on and so forth and the typical volunteer kind of work. And when we moved the office to Burlington a few years later, um, the woman who had been the clerical admin kind of function and whatnot, um, she kept working for us for a while, but she lived in Barrie, I think it was, so mm -hmm. didn't want to do the commute. So when she stopped working, so Paulette, um, you know, started working for us in that capacity and doing the bookkeeping and so on and so forth officially and permanently in Burlington uh, with the consent, obviously, of the board of directors that was right. very supportive of it and, and whatnot. And we continued to do that for 20 years. Hmm. Um, what was it like 
um, in the late 1990s, 1998 sp specific, to um, be heavily involved with the national grassroots effort and Capitol Hill rally, which led to the passage of H.R. 1151, the Credit Union Membership Access Act. So it was super motivational uh, from a credit union uh, perspective uh, and, and a trade association perspective uh, because, you know, that was right near and dear to our hearts as far as our mission is concerned of mm -hmm. advocacy and whatnot. Um, we had had a, a major rally before that in about 1980. It was a Save Our Share Draft campaign at the time, mm -hmm. now checking accounts, but right. share drafts at the time. Uh, so similar kind of process and, and whatnot, we, and we got lots of Vermonters to go to Washington and did the petitions in state and whatnot. Um, but for H.R. 1151 in 98, I think it was, mm -hmm. we, had, we organized two busloads of Vermont credit union folks, people mostly working in credit unions, but some volunteers as well, uh, to go to Washington and join a rally of, I forget how many people it was, but we filled a large part of the Capitol steps. And we held a reception in a hotel in Arlington, and we got then Senator Leahy and Senator Jeffords and then Congressman Sanders to come to us. Uh, and they were very impressed by having 100 Vermonters come visit mm -hmm. them and exchange with them and whatnot. Um, and so all of H.R. 1151 and that passage, you know, it was a, a real memorable experience because it was such a, a, a humongous undertaking by credit union leagues and credit unions and CUNA nationwide. And, you know, it was for an emergency, obviously, because a lot of people, members of credit unions, were going to um, lose their membership in credit unions, or at the very least, credit unions aren't federally chartered credit unions. We're not going to be able to take on any new members. So we had a wonderful time, and it's one of the uh, major milestones in my memory of my 40-year career. Well, and you mentioned um, in in the beginning, you know, talking about credit unions that had their own little their own little niche, um, but that was really the start of the community credit union charter, right? Yeah, you know, it, it was around that time, and uh, credit unions, you know, everybody jokes jokes around about, you know, during my lifetime anyway, how credit unions are, you know, best kept secret and all that kind mm -hmm. of stuff. And, and that's not so much a case anymore because credit unions really have come into the, the limelight, particularly in recent years. But uh, back around the time of H.R. 151, you know, credit unions were still not, uh, I, I guess I'll say they were regarded as, you know, the the second thought uh, financial mm -hmm. institutions sort of and not for people who are members but for people there was not as much of an awareness by non-members in the media and so on and so forth um, and so when credit unions came to light in this whole lawsuit by bankers uh, trying to restrict the fields of membership of federally chartered credit unions and whatnot it got a lot of press coverage so it drew lots of attention to credit unions and I think it was at that time that you know more people started coming along saying, hey, I'd like to join a credit union. And so you'd have, you know, one employee group of some small or not so small employer approaching an existing credit union saying, hey, can we join your ranks and right. so on and so forth. And I don't know that that was a turning point, but it certainly contributed to the start of the expansion of fields of membership of credit union towards, you know, where we are today. Mm. This week in September always reminds me that six months before you hired me, um, my wife, Kathy, had invited me to play in the league's charity golf tournament that I now put on every year. Um, it was at Sugarbush, and I was there under Caswell Credit Union sponsorship. It was September 12, 2001, the day after 9-11. And on all the tournament, the tournament went on as scheduled. Many people were obviously unable to attend, so you and I ended up playing as a twosome. Being on a golf course that day uh, after that horrific attack and playing golf with the person who would later hire me for a job I've now been in for 16 and a half years. 
is easily the most surreal experience of my life. But I'm curious what your perspective is on how 9-11 certainly changed everything for most Americans, but what do you think were the most significant impacts on credit unions? Uh, well, first, uh, I've got to say, John, I'm sorry that you had to play golf with me or to anybody <laughs> who ever had to play golf with me. Um, and fortunately, I've been able to avoid that for quite a while now. You're doing a good job of that, too. Yeah, thank you. Um, as far as 9-11 is concerned, you know, I'm always a, li a little uh, um, apprehensive about, you know, every time I think, oh, yeah, this year it's coming up on my, you know, whatever anniversary, this year, 40th. But, you know, every year up until now. Uh, since 2001, uh, you know, knowing that the same day that's my uh, work anniversary is also the day of this horrific attack. Sure. Um, th there was a credit union in the World Trade Center, Excel Credit Union uh, in New York. It was on the 39th floor. Um, I believe they were, from what I read, able to evacuate all of their employees and everybody was safe and sound that worked there, although they lost a lot of credit union members, uh, presumably employees who worked in one of those two mm -hmm. buildings. Um, as, as far as the effect on the credit industry overall, um, you know, I, I think it certainly drew a lot of attention to the need for increased physical security uh, among credit unions or as financial institutions. Uh, and I, I don't think any of this is specific to credit unions, but financial institutions overall. Um, right. and, and I think it also was maybe not a turning point, but brought some additional attention um, to uh, the beginning of a new era of uh, regulatory regulations addressing, you know, security, money laundering, so on and so forth, and all those kinds of things that in some way, shape, or form were all connected to terrorist type attacks like what happened on 9-11. Uh, so I, I think that was a little bit of a dawn of a new day for financial service providers. Understandably, yeah. Um, let's turn to something a little more lighter. Um, looking back over your, over your credit union career, what are the three most interesting things that listeners might not know about you or about the association? Three things. Um, okay. Um, well, um, first, uh, when I started working for the league, now association, um, every time I got introduced, whether it was at a credit union chapter meeting to a new credit union board of directors or whoever it might be, legislators or whoever, um, and I'd say, hi, my name is Joe Bergeron I'm from the Vermont Credit Union, blah, blah, blah. Anybody who knew anything about credit unions would always say, oh, yeah, your grandfather must be Roy Bergeron, right? Of course. And the father of credit unions, right? Right. And I would have to explain, um, n no, not quite, you know, different spelling of his last name. He's got some extra letters in his and so on and so forth. And after that went on for a couple of years, I just gave up and said, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's my grandfather. No, well, we no do have problem. a picture of him on our office wall here. We so. do. We do. And did you know Roy was the first president of the Vermont Credit Union League? I so, did, yeah. yeah. I, I actually built that into our Jeopardy question at, oh, yeah. uh, at annual meeting a couple exactly. of years ago. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and that picture of Roy that we have hanging in the hallway here, a large one, by the way, um, I found when we moved from River Street in Montpelier to our building in Shelburne Road in South Burlington, I found that behind a file cabinet someplace, all <laughs> dusty and bent and everything. Something tells me Roy would have actually kind of liked that, maybe <laughs> a little bit. So the second thing I, I think uh, probably very few people would know is that the first place that I sat in an office in the Vermont Credit Union League was on the second floor. It was a, this house that had been a converted meat market on River Street in Montpelier. <laughs> And my office is on the top of the stairs on the second floor. And it had, if you can picture this, gold carpet, orange, literally orange walls, black woodwork, and a green metal army desk. Well, it was uh, the 70s. It, it was the <laughs> 70s, all in one place, yeah. 
So another thing that some people might not know is that the annual meeting that you um, you coordinate now featured two things. Our primary form of entertainment was a slideshow done with multiple carousel projectors advanced by hand where Paulette and I were counting the beats to disco versions of classical music. If you remember at the time, there were all oh, these albums yeah. of, uh, you know, whatever hits with Handel or, you know, whatever, and so on and so I'm, forth. I'm trying to block those out, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, sorry. You will, won't sleep so well tonight. The other thing we did at annual meetings, and this is more in the 80s and early 90s, was we had a lot of theme parties uh, every year. And I've so, seen the pictures, yeah. So every annual meeting uh, was based on some kind of theme, and we got everybody to show up in costumes. And so I remember vividly uh, three times we did uh, Pirates one year. So we had a whole league staff dressed as, you know, Hook and so on and right. so forth. Um, and we had sand on the floor and palm trees and so on and so forth. Um, we did a uh, 50s sock hop one year uh, where there were records all over the, the walls and everything as decor. Everybody was dressed in poodle. Well, I wasn't wearing a poodle skirt, but females were wearing Thankfully. a poodle skirt. skirt. <laughs> Uh, but the T-shirts and slick back hair and all that kind of stuff. And we rented uh, six Corvettes, um, antique Corvettes from, you know, 1958 to 62 or so. Uh, there was a guy down the road from us in Shelburne that uh, had those. So we brought them in as decoration. Nice. Uh, but my fondest one is when we did a MASH. And I remember the MASH TV show. Sure, uh, yeah. And Radar Great show. and all that yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah, the best ever. Um, so the staff at the uh, Sheridan Hotel that we were at really got into that. And so we, and we had... Uh, uh, one of Pollitt's, my wife's uncles, was an uh, 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 officer in the Air Guard. Mm. And so he was able to get for us, uh, let's see, we had a Jeep, we had a medical truck, we had some portalettes, we had that camouflage netting that hangs from the ceiling, nice. uh, so on and so army tents, surgical tents, and so on and so forth. So that was pretty cool. Um, here's a similar question with a slightly different focus. Over the past 40 years... What are the top career accomplishments of which you're most proud? I don't know if these are top career accomplishments, but they're certainly things that stand out in my memory uh, when I think back. The first one, uh, or among the first ones, would be probably uh, our search for and acquiring um, the building on Shelburne Road in South Burlington that we lived in for 30 years. Mm -hmm. And and what made it memorable for me was I was, I think, like 25 when we started negotiating with um, the real estate developer. It was Tony Palmo at the time. Mm -hmm. um, we ended up buying that building in 1983. Uh, a lot of experiences with that building. And, you know, years later we found out when we were doing some renovations, we found out there was a lot of asbestos to deal with of and course, so on yeah. and so forth and all that kind of stuff. That building, just before we bought it, um, they had had a, a antiquated heating and cooling system in it, and they had a, a. It was we were just coming off the era of Legionnaires' disease, if you oh. remember that stuff. Yeah. And so, water tower on the roof that was recirculating for the air conditioning, and that that uh, had to get torn down, and so on and so forth. So, so that was a pretty big uh, project for a 25-year-old to be mm -hmm. you know, negotiating and working on. Granted, with a lot of assistance from right. board members and volunteers and whatnot. Uh, and w and one other thing that um, most people didn't know, and I think I mentioned to this to you the other day, is that just before we bought that building on Shelburne Road, we were on the cusp. I mean, literally like a, a hair's width away from acquiring uh, a property in downtown Burlington that today is a Ronald McDonald House in downtown oh. Burlington. It was the 
the manse or the residence for, uh, I forget the name of the church, it was a congregational church anyway, one of the few remaining, uh, you know, grassy tree-lined mm-hmm. properties in the middle of downtown Burlington. And they really liked, they didn't need the house anymore, the church didn't, and they really liked the concept of credit unions and the cooperativeness and so on and so forth in the early 80s. And so we were about to sign a contract where we were going to occupy that residence for a dollar a year for perpetuity. Wow. But then the Ronald McDonald people came along. Right. And um, and we, you know, it doesn't sound quite right, but we could not compete with sick yeah, children. No, much better and use. Rightfully so. Yeah. And, and it went where it belongs, the, the use that it got put to. So that's how we ended up on negotiating with uh, Tony Pomelo, a yeah. well-known developer in Vermont. And, getting the building on Shelburne Road. And it was in that building on Shelburne Road, because we had a lot more space than the little converted meat market in Montpelier, <laughs> yeah. um, that it enabled us to have more space to do more things. And so, you know, something that, that I can't say I'm really proud of is we started one of the first shared branch locations in the country. Before shared branching actually Before there really existed. was shared branching. Yeah. Uh, there was one location in Massachusetts someplace uh, operated independently by some group of credit unions. There was a similar one in, I forget if it was Detroit or Chicago, um, and then there was ours. Hmm. And we started that on Shelburne Road. There were 14 to 18 credit unions in Vermont that participated in it. It was all done manually and by phone initially. Credit union sent us a trial balance, you know, the big green bar paper and right. everything once a week of people's account balances and whatnot. And we had, a, you know, a teller function in our lobby and everything in that building, and the offices were our association officers upstairs and um, we build it and as a matter of fact the sign of the building said Vermont Credit Union Center and mm-hmm. people of those 14 credit unions you know perceived it as a branch of their credit union and we had all kinds of policies with each credit union if they wanted to you know exceed uh, you know whatever a credit union said they could withdraw it required a phone call by us and so on and so forth and we'd settle up with the credit union at the end of each day um, that program uh, eventually uh, we automated it um, and uh, it, it was the seed for the current Q card uh, right. ATM and debit card program that we have. Um, and so the shared branch that we had there, I think we started that in about 1980 or 83 or so, and it went for about a decade. Hmm. And uh, as we started that Q card program and started having access to ATM machines, as that increased, the frequency of people walking into the lobby to do shared branch transactions decreased. And so it was a natural progression. Uh, and obviously, we still have the Q card program today. Um, the and, third and that sort of turned into the Falcon ATM network at some point too, right? Um, complemented by the Falcon right. ATM network, okay. um, we, uh, you know, we had a relationship when we started our ATM program. We struck a deal. The, the league did association struck a deal with Vermont National Bank, and we also had an arrangement right. with Chittenden Bank, so we could have access to ATM machines that they owned because credit unions didn't own much of any right. ATM machines. There were probably a couple in the state, but that was about it. Vermont National Bank went out of business, got acquired right. by Chittenden. Chittenden came to a point where it decided we don't want to allow credit union members to be using our ATM machines anymore. Coincidentally, at the same time, we had three credit unions um, and a number of small banks that were um, doing something similar, three larger credit unions, with um, Bank North Group. Mm-hmm. Uh, then Howard Bank was part of that at right. the time and whatnot. And the same thing happened. So we were all without... ATM, or we were going to be without ATM access. And so we banded together and went out to negotiate and whatnot, and that's how the beginning of the Falcon ATM network came to be. Nice. 
Um, the third thing that I would mention is the rewrite of our Vermont credit union statutes. Um, you know, I was here for that. <laughs> you were here for that. And that was, what, 2003 to 2005, somewhere yeah, in there. Yeah, th- culminated in 2005. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, prior to then, our existence in the Vermont State House was we had a presence, obviously, all, all the time, like all associations do. Um, but we hadn't had any really big undertaking. And um, it, it credit unions were... Um, you know, not disregarded by legislators, but thought of second mm-hmm. after banks. You know, if they want, were introducing legislation and wanted an opinion about something, go to the banks first. Oh, yeah, there's credits we should check with, too. Mm. Maybe, if you're lucky, but we have to keep reminding them of that. So when we started this rewrite, we worked closely with, uh, well, now Department of Financial Regulation, right. then Bishka. Bishka, and it was, I forget what that stood for, but Banking Insurance, Securities and Healthcare yeah, Administration, yeah. I think, yeah. Yeah, a string of things. Um, so we worked closely with them for a long time leading up to it, had a lot of meetings. We had a lot of volunteer committee involvement and whatnot, um, and then had to work with legislators. And it was at that point um, that we decided that so our, our uh, registered lobbyists for the league at the time were me um, and Rick Brock, our right. legal counsel, who is the attorney that I connected up with when I first became president. And and although, uh, you know, it's not that we were uncomfortable doing it, but we needed more horsepower. So we went out looking for a lobbying firm to retain to help us out and uh, came across Sorokin and the Crassen at the time, mm-hmm. now the Crassen Group yep. that we deal with uh, proudly. Um, and they were working mostly with uh, cooperatives at the time uh, and nonprofits. And we've had a great relationship ever since. And it took us, um, what, two legislative sessions, two, two plus years uh, to work that rewrite of Vermont credit union statutes through the state house, because it opens your soul bare. Really, it, you know, it's the whole enabling legislation for state chartered credit unions, and of course, there are other interests in the state house uh, that saw that as an opportunity to introduce negative aspects to right. it, and so on and well, so forth. The whole the whole point, as I recall, was modernization, bringing them up yes. to speed for technology yes. and everything else. Our state law at the time was. Uh, I want to say woefully behind <laughs> the federal version at the time. I and mean, we were trying to maintain parity. You know, when you run a trade association, you want to maintain parity between state and federal law sure. to whatever degree possible. There's always going to be a few variances between the two, but, uh, you know, you don't want to get them far, far apart. And they were getting pretty far apart at the time. So state law was a lot more restrictive at the time. And so we were able to modernize it a lot. Um, and so so that stands out in my memory as a big Maybe not the only, it's definitely not the only big advocacy accomplishment, but definitely kind of a milestone for us in that ever since then, uh, we've had a major presence in the state house right. and been, um, uh, you know, an entity, I want to say to be reckoned with, doesn't sound right, that sounds yeah. negative, but... To be recognized, maybe. Recognized and thought of first and so on and so forth. Right, right, right. And with that, we've come to the end of another Vermont Credit Union's on-air podcast. I hope our listeners found it informative. Thank you, Joe, for reminiscing about your 40 years at the association. Even working for you as long as I have, I know that in preparing for this podcast, I learned some new things. So I'm sure our listeners did too. Especially the orange walls. Especially uh, the orange, desk, just yeah. the disco. I'm, I'm, I'm only going to think of disco office now every time I think of that office. Disco. We're going to have a mirror ball in this office now. <laughs> no, we're not. Um, <laughs> Thanks for the interview, John. It's uh, it's been great. And you know, the four four decades uh, sounds like a long time, but you know, I'm not sure that I would uh, have it any other way. You know, it's it 
I have to admit that you don't hear about people staying in the same place uh, for that lengthy period of ever. time. Very, well, ever, very much, I was going to say. But, um, you know, it's only working in a small organization like this that has given me the perspective and the appreciation of seeing all of the pieces um, all at one time. And, you know, there's a lot of advantages to being in a small organization. As anyone that works in a smaller credit union, uh, you know, would know. The, obviously, you don't have the resources to a larger organization, larger brethren, but uh, you have a lot more flexibility. And in our case, I think we've been pretty creative over the years Very much with so. your assistance and the assistance of everyone else in the office here and support from our board of directors. So I think we're very creative. We've been very successful because of it. We enjoy lots of success from our credit unions. And, you know, I've just really appreciated the opportunity to uh, spent four decades in, in this line of work uh, with everybody that I've dealt with. Well, on behalf of everyone here on the staff, I just want to say it's been a privilege. And uh, we're not going anywhere, um, as far as I know, yeah, unless, you want, to, unless no, you want to break some news no, here or something. No, no, no. Thanks for clarifying um, But it has been a privilege to be a part uh, of it. And uh, Michelle Fullerton's been here for 20-plus years, yes. Brian yeah. and I for more than 16 years, right. and all the other staff members. Um, you know, there's not a lot of turnover here, so um, it's been a privilege to be part of your 40-year career Thank in you, John. credit unions. We want to remind listeners that you can hear all our previously recorded podcasts by visiting the communications and media page of our website at vermontcreditunions.coop and clicking on the link to our SoundCloud page. Or you can find them by searching for Vermont Credit Unions on air at the iTunes Store and on Google Play. If you have ideas for a podcast on a topic about which you'd like to know more, email it to podcast at vermontcreditunions.coop. Until next time, this is John Cody and Joe Bergeron at the Association of Vermont Credit Unions thanking you for listening.